Well, um, when I got home last week from two and a half weeks in uh, Israel, uh, Janice handed me a stack of mail that had come in that two weeks. Uh, in that stack were six requests for donations. Six requests for donations. We only receive bills and requests for donations in the mail these days, add on flyers. Uh, three of them were from educational institutions that I have attended in the past and graduated from. Two were from mission agencies that Janice and I have supported in the past. Uh, and one was from our medical co-op that we belong to. Now, each and every one of these things were from worthy institutions. Each and every one of these things spoke of great needs. And each and every one of them, in my estimation, were worthy of our attention. But I remember saying, lifting these up and saying to Janice, wouldn't it be great if we could honor all of these things? And then I quickly put them aside. Well, that was last week, uh, and this is this week. And this week, I got up on Tuesday, which is my normal way of doing it, opened up the text for this coming Sunday, and began to be hammered by God about giving. I don't know if you were hammered by God this morning by those texts being read today, but three out of the four were all about giving, all about stewardship in the broadest of ways. And I must confess, I was convicted this week. I was convicted to say, maybe I was just too cavalier about putting those six requests aside. Maybe I need to have uh, some remedial study in the theology of giving. And maybe I need to keep on asking, what are you saying to me? And right through me to you about all of this. So that's where my week has been. I'm just going to share with you some of the things that I have learned again uh, from these texts. And we're going to be very brief because, again, uh, there are three really vital texts, but we're going to be very quick. Three texts, three principles. I start with Deuteronomy, and the first principle, I think, is this. We, we within the family of God, are commanded by God to give to the needs within the family. We are commanded by God to give to the needs within the family. That's what Deuteronomy 15 is all about. We read a portion of it. Um, but again, remember the context. Uh, the people of Israel, Moses and the people of Israel, are on the edge of the Promised Land, about to enter into their inheritance. And Moses is reiterating the law one more time at the end of the 40 years. Uh, and this is one of the main things that he deals with on that auspicious beginning. The question he raises in this teaching is simply this. He says, what are we to do if, perhaps when, 
a brother or a sister runs into calamity, when or if a brother uh, becomes poor. What is the responsibility of the family of God to such a one in such a circumstance? That's the question that he raises up. And Moses in his teaching, it seemed to me, uh, was at one and the same time utterly realistic and yet utterly hope-filled. His realism comes at the end of the teaching where he says this, uh, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Since just get this through your heads, folks. There will never cease to be poor in the land. We are fallen people living in a fallen creation, uh, and there will come a time where at least some of us, if not all of us, at one point in time or other, either through our own folly or through the sheer brokenness of the world, will come into poverty, will become poor. There is the utter realism of Moses. And yet, when he began this text seven verses earlier, he made this statement. He says, but, he says, there will be no poor among you. So how do you just suppose those two things? Never cease to be poor, but will never be poor among you. Well, the reason he can bring those two together is because he issues a command, a command given by God, and this is it. He says, there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. The reason, he says, the hope of Israel is that there will be no poor among us because we will take this command seriously. We will lend to our brother. Lend, because again, there's dignity in this. But our lending will be conditional. It will turn into a gift if it's done during the seventh year. That's the teaching. He says, get over yourselves. Do not harden your heart. Do not close your hand. You are to give. It is a command of God. And it comes with a promise, and here is the promise. It says, if and as we do so, we unleash the blessing of God. That's the promise. He says, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Here's this. Because for this. There's the in order language. Because as we do that, as we do not harden our heart, as we are not grudgingly in our giving, because for this, this way of giving freely and joyfully, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake. That's the blessing promise. As we do what we're commanded to do, we unleash the blessing of God within the community of God. We need to get our minds wrapped around what the commandments really are. They are not arbitrary things. 
We tend to think that they are. We tend to think that God said, I need to have a, a way of knowing whether they truly love me. I'm going to make up some rules. <laughs> I'm going to say, do this, and maybe if you do it, okay, I get it. You love me. That's not what the commands are. The commands of God are not arbitrary. They're revelatory. They reveal something about God, and they reveal something about His creation, the order He has built into His creation. We are created to give. We are created to love our neighbors as ourselves so that together we may fulfill the purposes of God in His creation according to His will. We are created to give. And that is indeed the bottom line. The command of God reveals something about our nature, our true nature, not our fallen nature. And that is why we are to take it seriously. This is how we have been made. This is what we are to do to participate in what God is doing within His creation. When a brother or sister comes into need, we rise up and commanded to give. That's the fundamental understanding of giving in the Old Testament, that with the people of God are indeed a family of God, and we take care of our own. It's just a given commanded to give within and to the family of God. That's the first thing. But then beyond that, beyond the command, we are also invited to give. And that's where we come to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, and to this great story of the collection for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul takes two full chapters. We only read the first part of this story. But chapter 8 and chapter 9 of um, Corinthians is all about this collection that he is gathering for the church in Jerusalem. Now, I take it as an assumption that Paul simply assumed that each of his communities would indeed take care of themselves, that they had heard and would obey the command of God to give to those who are in need within the community of God, the local community, that they would know that they were to take care of their leaders because the leader was worthy of his sake. They would take care of their own mission. I assume that he says, you understand this, you are, under, you are to take care of your community, the needs beyond that, that's the command of God. But beyond that command, beyond the local institution of this giving, I invite you to give. I invite you to give beyond yourselves to this wider world. That's what he's doing uh, in this particular section. Um, now, the collection in Jerusalem, uh, we don't know a great deal about it. We can surmise this. The church in Jerusalem, uh, in as the nation of Israel got closer and closer to rebellion against Rome, became more um, 
dire in their financial and cultural expression. Uh, they were not in a good place in this time. So Paul knew that this was the mother church. This was a church that had, at great cost to itself, given the gospel to the Gentiles and allowed them to remain as Gentiles. It was costing them dearly back home. He knew that they had given life, eternal life, to these Gentile communities, and the very least that these communities could do would to give back financially to help them in their financial straits. And he believed, he truly believed, you read the last portion of chapter 9, that if this was done, that this would elicit thanksgiving from the community of faith and would witness to the wider Jewish community. He had great hopes for this collection, great hopes of what it would do for not only the church, but for the entire nation. Now, he builds his invitation on two theological principles, wonderful theological principles. The first is this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We may find that God's revelation of our nature to be givers is a little clouded in creation, in the order of creation. We should have no doubts that it comes clearly in the order of redemption. The reason it is built into creation is because this is simply the very character of the God who has made us. This is who God is. This is what God does. And this is how God does it. Right? He loves sacrificially that which he has made. And he will fulfill his purposes at great cost to himself. He gives of himself, and that giving gives life. And Paul is saying, this is not only the pattern of redemption, it is, should be the pattern of your life. We are invited to embrace the same pattern in all of our relationships, this pattern of the cross this pattern of self-sacrificing love in obedience to the Father for the sake of those in need. Right. This, by the way, is the only life that has been truly vindicated. That's what the resurrection is all about. God has said, this is the way I have made you to be. This is the pattern of life I have made you to live. Embrace it. Embrace it. Paul goes on to say the second theological principle is this. The point, he says, is this. It doesn't fool around. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul understands that there is this dynamic. We are invited to participate in the ways of God. And when we do, we unleash the blessing of God. That's the principle. We get to participate, and to the extent that we do, we unleash the blessing of God. That's what he's saying. See, you and I, Paul says, limit the blessings of God. We limit it by our own fears. We limit it by our own misunderstandings. We limit it by thinking that we are the ones who are to give, rather than to give from what we have been given. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And he goes on again with the promise. The promise is, again, that God himself will bless, that he will bless absolutely abundantly. Now, I uh, understand this. We are commanded to give within the body. We're invited to give beyond the body uh, to these greater needs. But I found myself asking Paul, you had one request. I had six last week. And while I was in GAFCON, every Ugandan and Nigerian I met, lovely folks, always were saying, can we partner together? Everybody has needs, right? It goes on and on and on. The world is needs. Beyond the local body, there is infinite needs. How do we discern which of these are to be ours? And how we respond to what we are to give within those that are to be ours? And I think I found a hint of an answer to those questions, even in Paul's writing. He first, he mentions again the example of the Macedonians. Now, if you think about it, the northern Greek uh, provinces, Macedonia itself, were very, very poor. Thessalonica, Philippi were not rich places. Corinth was hugely rich. They were the big fish in this tiny pond. Next to Rome, they were one of the most wealthy communities in the Roman Empire. But Paul says, I want to tell you what's happening north of you. I want to tell you what's happening in the church of Macedonia. They have given, and they've given beyond their means to this. They have begged us, he says. They have begged us to do what we thought they could not do and probably should not do, to give as generously as they did. And he says, but this, they gave not as we expected. But, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us, to this request. Now, again, this is not rocket science. They prayed about it, right? They simply took the request. They heard it from their apostle, their beloved apostle. They said, would you? And they said, well, let's pray. And they expected God to direct them, and God did. God did. 
And God said, give and give generously. And they responded. <laughs> and I'm going, well, how do they know God had said yes? What is the clue that we are indeed being asked by God to say, this is for you? Well, Paul goes on to talk about the Corinthians, and they too had a history of the request. Uh, in fact, he says this. He says, in this matter, I give you my judgment. He says, this benefits you. I mean, he is saying, it, I am doing this not because I want you to suffer. I'm doing it because I want you to be benefited. <laughs> this benefits you, who a year ago not only uh, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well. He seems to say that when I first made this request to you a year ago, it quickened something within you. It stirred up a desire for you to go, yes, I want to do that. I want to participate in that. He goes back a year later saying the desire was there, but where's the, where's the fruit? <laughs> you haven't acted on it. But remember the desire. Remember the quickening. And maybe that's the clue for us. Maybe once we come to terms with the command to give within the body of Christ and we say we are just going to do that come what may, and we receive invitations beyond the body, beyond the local body, maybe we are simply to take those requests, every single one, seriously, to pray about this and saying, is this for me? Or not. And maybe, just maybe, if you find your spirit quickened, if you find a desire rising up within you, maybe that is your invitation to give. To give. I have uh, resolved this week to pick up those six invitations. And to do that, come what may. Right. Um, and then Janice and I will have to have a talk because <laughs> we need to do this together, right? I mean, um, but maybe that is the pattern. We who are inundated with all these things, take them seriously. We were created to give, and we must give within the local body, but we're also invited to give beyond, to participate in what God is doing beyond. And again, that comes with a promise that our obedience will again unleash the blessing of God. He says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's just the way God works. If we are quickened, act. And we begin to participate in this generosity of God 
unleashing his blessings upon the world. We are commanded to give. We are invited to give. And the third principle that jumped out at me is that we are transformed by the grace of God through our giving. We've been mentioning that over and over in these two things, but it comes out especially in Psalm 112 today, a great psalm. And again, I, I, we will not deal with it in detail. But it is an ode of praise to the righteous man. Listen to how it starts. It says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. Right? Who greatly delights in the revelation of God to him and goes, all right, bingo, that's who I am, that's who I'm created to be, I am going to do these things, and guess what, as I do them, I'm blessed. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And then he goes on, the psalmist does, to outline some of those blessings. He says, his offspring will be mighty in the land, the generation of the upright will be blessed, wealth and riches are in his house, it sometimes comes, and his righteousness endures forever. And then he goes on to say this, light dawns in the darkness for such a one, for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Think about that. Those three characteristics are the three main characteristics of Israel's God. They have now become the characteristics of this one who is blessed. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is righteous. Right? And how did he become such? At least in part, through his giving. Psalmist goes on, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. A few verses on, he says, this one has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. When we honor the command of God, when we receive well the invitation of God to give beyond, as we do these things, as we act generously, as we distribute freely, God changes us. His grace changes us, and we become like Him. That's the true blessing of it all. Three principles. We are commanded to give within the family of God. We are invited to give beyond for the needs of God. And as we do so, and to the extent we do so, God's grace forms us into His image. Three great texts, three great principles, one glorious life.
May God give us ears to hear and wills to obey. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.